good day to you. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast. Hope you're having a good one. It's 2020. We have, what, 10 more days left in this miserable year, and the Buffalo Bills are AFC East champions for the first time since 1995. In 1995, I had hair. A fair amount of it, actually. You know, not so much now. But it's it's great to see all of what has happened to this organization in the last four years. Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean came in with a plan. They they morphed this roster. One player, Jerry Hughes, is left from the roster they inherited. Reed Ferguson, in fairness, was on the practice squad. So while there is only one player left from those previous days, from the Doug Whaley Rex Ryan years. It's just crazy that they've turned this organization over, created a culture, and brought in talent that has allowed this team to thrive. And they went to Denver on Saturday. And in fairness, this was a game I was a little bit concerned about. Denver has a very good defense. Their offense has some talent at skill positions. The offensive line has gotten better. Drew Locke certainly still a work in progress. No answer at the quarterback position yet he may or may not be the guy I don't think he's the guy I think he would be a nice backup in years to come but it's certainly one of those things that we look at going forward and I, I do think that the Broncos are going to be a good team in the near future Vic Fangio does a great job defensively so when you look at it and, and you see Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay you think they can run the ball they're good defensively it's going to be a tough test. Well, the Bills come out of that tough test with a 48-19 to win. They scored three touchdowns that didn't count on the same drive. Pretty funny that Josh Allen heard on the microphone, how many times have we got to score? Excellent, excellent work by Brian Dable, game planning for this game. And Allen, again, was spectacular. 28-40, 359 yards. Two touchdowns through the air, another 33 yards rushing with two touchdowns on the ground. It was a total domination. I thought somewhat fitting that Jerry Hughes ended up scoring a touchdown on a fumble recovery because, again, he's the one guy that was here previous. You think of the reaction of Kyle Williams and Eric Wood when when the Bills finally made the playoffs, how much it meant to those guys. Well, Jerry Hughes has been spoiled. It's been in the playoffs three of the last four years, but he is the lone holdover. So for him to dust off those running back skills that he had many years ago was great to see. It was great for him to get that moment and for this team to now be in a position where they could easily be the the second seed in the AFC. This year's different because of the 17 playoff that's been expanded because of the pandemic. Only the number one seed gets the bye. So the Chiefs will get the number one seed. They basically have that locked up at this point. There is a, you know, it's a, it's a dumb and dumber chance that the Bills could end up with that one seed, but I wouldn't count on that. The reality is the two seeds up for grabs. And if the Bills win this week and certain things happen, like the Steelers potentially losing to Indianapolis, then the Bills could get themselves in line for that second seed without having to worry about the Miami game. And, of course, this week is New England on a Monday night football game for the Bills. So you look at what 
happened Saturday night, Stefan Diggs was again spectacular. 11 catches, 147 yards. Beasley over 100 as well. John Brown is going to be back for the playoffs. Gabriel Davis has been nice. You look at the four wide sets now, they're effective. Bring John Brown back and put him in there, and all of a sudden they get even that much better. Jake Kumaro scored a touchdown on Saturday night. He was a guy way down the depth chart. The Bills, and, and this is a testament to both Brian Dable and Josh Allen, they've now had 13 players. It's an NFL record. 13 players score, catch a touchdown pass this year. Josh Allen has caught one and thrown to 12 others. And, and you start looking at the list and the obvious ones, Brown, Beasley, Diggs are the obvious one. The tight end group has each has one, Lee Smith, Tyler Croft, Dawson Knox didn't drop them all. He caught a couple. And then, you know, even Reggie Gilliam gets one. TJ Yeldon has a touchdown pass. Zach Moss, Devin Singletary does not. So the Bills could actually throw a touchdown pass to Singletary and, and get themselves even further into the record book. And again, to me, that is Brian Dable's offense, Josh Allen, Josh Allen working the field, going through progressions, and not forcing the ball to Stephon Diggs or Cole Beasley, but finding the open man. Yes, he does force the ball to Diggs and Beasley occasionally, and I'm okay with it because the percentage completion rate when targeting those two guys, is each of them is over 70%. So you think about that, 70% of the time, when Allen looks at Diggs or Beasley, it's a completed pass. So I have no problem with them forcing them. And again, the strides Josh Allen has taken. Bills fans, get used to pay Josh Allen because I think it's going to happen this offseason. And the crazy thing is this young kid who has taken these huge strides is now, according to Track, which is a great website if you're into the financial side of sports, has morphed into a $40 million player. Josh Allen will sign a contract that will likely, likely net him $40 million per year. Crazy. Two years ago, he was drafted, and there are people, I mentioned Nick Wright of First Things First on Fox, still professing that Josh Allen isn't a good player. And I don't know, you know, there have been a lot of guys who've come around on Allen, but there's still guys who just steadfastly won't. And, you know, it's it's funny when you watch him play, you see the passion which he plays with, obviously, the raw tools. But I want you to listen to this sound clip of him and tell me this isn't the guy you want leading your franchise. I, I think it means a lot. Obviously, it hasn't happened in 25 years um, for Kim and Terry to take over and you know, hire the guys and um, girls that they did in this organization and, and being and McDermott, um, you know, the, the plan that they set out to go out and do, you know, it's exactly what they said they were going to do. And, you know, it's taken a few years, but um, it means a lot, obviously, to them. It means a lot to Coach McDermott. But at the same time, you know, his message was, you know, like in our shirt, say one, not done. Um, so everything's still in front of us. And, you know, this just gives us an opportunity to, uh, to give us a shot. You know, and that's all we can ask for. Still only 24 years old, looks like a leader on the field, plays like a leader, 
sounds like a leader and, you know, Bill's fans have bought in and, and they haven't been able to go see the games this year. And, and that's one of those things that to me just sucks about this year. Bill's fans have waited so long, 25 years to see a championship, an AFC championship. And yet now they get that championship and they're unable to go to the stadium and watch games, but they certainly turned out in mass to go see the team after they got home and, the love affair between this city and its football team just it's something that to me makes the league special. And maybe that sounds corny, but when you have places like Buffalo, New York and, and Green Bay, these small, small markets that are pockets of fans and, you know, the rest of the nation, how many Packer fans do you know and how many people do you know that live in Green Bay? You know, Packer fans, it's a national brand. And I'm not saying the Bills are a national brand, but I do think that as this team, and I talked about this last week, this is the infancy of this build. This team has a chance to be good for a long time because of their age, and they they need to add to it in the offseason. I think next year's team will be better than this year's team. It's just fun to see how this fan base, once again, which has been a strong pocket locally is now going to grow. And the national media is certainly catching on. Well, now going forward, the the next step is the playoffs. And, you know, the bills have won the AFC East. That's job one. Job two is winning a playoff game. They've been two of the last three years and one and done. And last year, frankly, Josh Allen didn't play well in the second half, didn't get help in the second half. And I thought Sean McDermott coached, or I shouldn't say coach, managed the worst game of his career. Because I thought if he called a better game, then the Bills would have moved on. I, I rewatch that game sometimes, and I still don't know how the Bills lost that game to the Texans. This year, the job is to get over that hump. And to do so, it looks like they're going to be playing at home. Likely to be a third seed at worst, assuming that they win one of the next two. And that's where McDermott has a decision to make. What do you do? Do you run everybody out there against New England and try to win this game and see where you are and then maybe pull back against the Jets? There's no bye week other than the top seed, as I said. So I I think you want to rest your guys. You want to be careful. Stephon Diggs came out of the Denver game with a little bit of a foot injury. Be patient with guys. Let them heal up. Let them be ready. But don't let them get rusty. I I think that's the fine line that Sean McDermott has to walk. You want guys ready to go in the playoffs and at full health if possible. But you also want to make sure that guys are sticking to that routine and in rhythm and ready to play when the playoffs come along. And, you know, one of the things – as you look at this Bills team and you start to think about the playoffs, one of the things the Bills have done, in my opinion, a great job of since the Pagulas have taken over is creating their own video content. Maybe because of my media background and because I do things like this, maybe I'm a little more in tune to it than the average fan, but I thought the embedded series was great. And they came out with a, I guess a, we'll call it a hype video for the playoffs. I want you to listen to this. Steve Tasker, one of the all-time Bills greats, and I know many Bills fans hope he gets a Hall of Fame 
gold jacket at some point. I think he's great in this. Check this out. Amy Fairburn ready to go after the timeout. It is a 28-yarder for the win. The kick is on the way. It is up. It is good. And the Houston Texans knock the Bills out of the playoffs and the Bills' season. Trust me. I get it. There's a lot of pain in going home empty-handed. I won't be over this until we start playing again. But the kind of pain that eats at you just makes us hungrier. But I promise you, our guys are hungry and we'll be back. And we'll never stop fighting. Winners know how to turn that pain into growth. And late last night, things heated up between the Minnesota Vikings and the Buffalo Bills, ending with Stephon Diggs being traded to Buffalo. Stephon Diggs is putting on a clinic now. Stephon Diggs makes a catch. They can't be stopped. It's in the same old Bills, man. We're not going to let anybody on the outside tell us who we are. Come on, what you going to do? Who you going to be? 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 Got Tyler Croft open. Touchdown! Touchdown! They want to talk about our blue collars and our rust belts. We'll just keep faking guys out of their shoes. Oh, gosh, ankles, socks, and shoes. Go ahead. Keep calling us underdogs while we unleash our quarterback. Let them do all the talking on the end. Josh Allen's been incredible. It's a thing. It's becoming a superstar thing. You guys keep finding a way. Finding a way. Tell us we can't stop the best, that we won't meet the moment, and we will find away. Oh, he lost the ball! Buffalo takes over! Down the middle, picked up! Picked up by Jordan Poyer in the end Intercepted by Terry Johnson in midfield. Running down the right sideline, he's going to score! This year, there's no in the hunt, backing in, settling. No, no, we're not showing up to the playoffs on a guest pass. We're riding our own ticket. Easiest way to playoffs is winning your division. That's our mindset, that's our goal. So we'll see you in Buffalo in January. Be ready. It might be chilly. It's just excellent, excellent stuff right there. And, you know, Tasker nails that part. And, and it's true. You know, you look at how the Bills got there the first year. They needed a miracle by Andy Dalton and the Bengals over the Ravens. And, the you know, after they had finished playing that Sunday, last year they get in as a wild card, go on the road, should have won the game, as I mentioned. But this year they're going to be home week one. And they might be home week two of the playoffs. And I think that's where you get yourself in a situation where you can, you can do things. And, you know, they have these decisions to make. Does – McDermott go all out and try to win the last two to get that number two seed. Does he rest his guys? It's certainly going to be interesting to watch how he handles it. And I guess the question is, are the Bills legitimate Super Bowl contenders? I mean, they won the AFC East. They're going to be a second or third seed. You look at the AFC, and I look at it this way. If everyone plays their best, if everyone's at the top of their game, to me, there's one team the Bills can't beat, and that's Kansas City Chiefs, if the Chiefs are at their best. And frankly, they haven't been at their best. They had a nice win on the road against New Orleans, but you know, Patrick Mahomes hasn't been 
and I know I'm holding him to his own level, hasn't been the great Patrick Mahomes. He's been a good Patrick Mahomes, which a good Patrick Mahomes is better than 99% of the quarterbacks who've ever played the game. So it's it's very high standard I'm holding him to. But I really think the Bills, if you look at the other teams, I think they're as good as Cleveland. Cleveland's a very good team defensively. I love the way they run the ball. But I trust Josh Allen in a big spot more than Baker Mayfield. The Steelers right now, we'll get into them in a minute, what they did last night against Cincinnati. I think they're a mess. You look at the Titans. I I love the Titans team because – they have a running game that will travel, and Ryan Tannehill's doing great things. The Colts play great defense. Not sure Phillip Rivers is somebody I trust in the playoffs at this point of his career. So it's it's fun to look at, but I do think the Bills are legitimate Super Bowl contenders. If they get help and somebody else maybe knocks off the Chiefs, then possibly Buffalo hosts – If they can win two games, they host the AFC championship game. And I know the governor this week said that he's exploring ways to let some fans into the stadium. Look, it's a 70,000-seat stadium. Let 15,000 fans in. I I think they could do that safely. I think you could socially distant. There is no reason you can't do that. 15,000 fans in that stadium – if you've ever seen the high school football games played there, that's what it looks like. That can be done safely. And I think it would be a great reward, not only to the fans who get to go, but for the Bills players who have missed out on that reciprocal part of the love affair. The Bills did place five players in the Pro Bowl. No Jordan Poyer. I was, that was the big one to me that should have been. Poyer's been excellent this year. Josh Allen gets his first Pro Bowl, which, again, if I had said at the beginning of the year that Josh Allen was going to be a Pro Bowl quarterback, you probably would have just hung up on me and stopped listening right then and there. But he has made those strides, 68% completion percentage, over 4,000 yards. He's just been fantastic this year. As Jim Kelly said, he's going to break all my records. Yeah, Jim? I think he is. Game's changed a lot, but at the same time, Allen is deserving of that. Stefan Diggs is going to make a Pro Bowl, and should Tremaine Edmonds makes his first Pro Bowl. little surprised by that, but Edmonds, since his injury is healed up, has been very good. Trey White, been very, he was great against Denver on Saturday, gets a first, his first Pro Bowl as well. And Andre Roberts makes another Pro Bowl. So the Bills well representative, well represented in the Pro Bowl, and Bills fans would like nothing better than for that Pro Bowl and those Bills players to never see each other because that means they've got a date in the Super Bowl. And I do think it's a real possibility that that could happen. Let's talk about what else went on in the league. Start with the Steelers last night, beaten by the Bengals at home, Ryan Finley playing quarterback with Joey Burrow out for the season with that knee injury. Bengals-Steelers is a long-time rivalry, and they get after each other in a big way. So in a way, I want to throw out how badly the Steelers played because they went against a very fired-up Bengals team. And in a rivalry game, anything can happen. 
but I just can't. I simply can't ignore how bad their offense is. Ben Roethlisberger does not look right. I don't know if it's the elbow. I don't know if it's the knee. I don't know if it's a combination of those two, plus the fact he's 38 years old. Whatever it is, he does not look like the same guy we saw two years ago who was throwing routinely 350 and 400-yard games and throwing the ball down the field. They can't run the ball. Their offensive line is struggling. The Steelers' defense is still great. Steelers' offense needs a reboot. So that's interesting because now they're 11-3. and The Cleveland Browns on Sunday night get a win over the Giants. Baker Mayfield had a great game in that one. And if you look at things in the AFC North now, the Browns are only a game back. And I think it would be great to see that if possible – the Browns play the Jets this week in New York, and I'm going to get to the red-hot New York Jets in a second. They would, with a win, would be 11-4. and four. The Steelers, they are at home against the Colts. They lose, they're 11-4. and four. Week 17, there's never a pre-scheduled uh, Sunday night game because they want that game to mean something. Well, both teams are 11-4 and four going into week 17. I think we know what our Sunday night game will be, Browns and Steelers, for the North Division title. So two teams, I think, going in opposite directions. And you think in terms of playoffs, who's the team you want? Both have very good defenses. Both rush the passer exceedingly well. Miles Garrett still dealing with effects of COVID, but still a dominant pass rusher. But offensively, who do you trust more at this point? A team who can run the ball exceedingly well, the Browns, and have Baker Mayfield or a team that can't run the ball at all and have Ben Roethlisberger. I'd take the Browns. And so I think this is going to be real interesting to see where it goes from here. A few weeks back, I said the Raiders were good enough to win a playoff game. I haven't drank in a long time, but I'm thinking I must add a flashback when I said those words, because this Raider team, man, you want to talk about going from the precipice of doing something special to just crashing. It's like leading the Indy 500 with three laps to go. And with nobody around you, you spin out and turn three. That's what the Raiders have done. They lost to the Chargers this week. Derek Carr suffered a groin injury late in that game. He could be done for the season. You know, Justin Herbert just continues to be really, really good as a rookie. And I think the Chargers, they'll get a new coach next year. and Things will be a little bit different. But they've got a lot of talent. Get Derwin James back in that secondary you have a chance to be very good very soon if you're a Chargers fan. But for the Raiders, Marcus Mariota looked good. But my wish, you know, let's hope for a Christmas miracle. How about some Nate Peterman time? Peterman now only one play away from getting in, and we all know what that can do to the NFL ratings. Best team in the NFC is the Green Bay Packers still. And Aaron Rodgers, he had a game Sunday that you look at and you go, eh. Yeah, it was all right. You know, 20 or 29, 143 yards, a touchdown. Of course, didn't throw an interception. He doesn't do those things. But Aaron Jones, the other Aaron, has really played well lately. And he was good against Carolina. 145 yards and a touchdown. Packers, late in the season, that running game. And that that's becoming a theme throughout the league. And I think, you know, we're, we're in this past era of NFL football, but I think we're seeing a lot of teams commit to the run and win while committing to the run. You need to be multiple. 
You need to be able to do things both ways. The Buccaneers played the Falcons, and last time Tom Brady played the Falcons, it was 28-3, to late third quarter, the Patriots win the Super Bowl. We all know that story. Well, Patriots aren't playing the Falcons. It was the Buccaneers, but Tom Brady was down 24 to 7 in the third quarter. Yeah, sure. We know what happened. Brady comes back and gets the job done. Atlanta, just not a team that's winning games this year. But again, the team that I don't believe is all that far off. Tampa improves to 9 and 5. That's very important. I'll get to the playoff picture in a minute, but. Very important that they got the win. Brady threw for 390. They win without Ronald Jones. Leonard Fournette doesn't give them the same thing as Ronald Jones. That's a team whose defense, the Buccaneers' defense, needs to improve. They were playing very good early in the year. They have not lately. Brady isn't the reason you're going to win games. You need to win games because your defense is playing better, and you need to win games because you run the ball with Ronald Jones. So see how the Bucks do going forward. The Colts get a win over the Texans again late in the game. The Texans have a chance. Just a couple weeks ago, Deshaun Watson has a chance to punch it in against the Colts. He fumbles a snap. This time it's another turnover in the in the in the red zone and the Colts come away with the win, big win for the Colts. Deshaun Watson. I don't know where the Texans go for a coach. I don't know who their GM's going to be, and they don't have draft picks because they've given them all away. But, man, is this kid spectacular. He was 373 and two touchdowns on Sunday. Of course, no interceptions. I feel bad for Deshaun Watson because they've taken – they've stripped him of his talent and just not allowed him to win football games. And it's it's mismanagement on so many levels. The Titans – Got another win. So the Titans and Colts remain tied. Derrick Henry is now at 1,679 yards. He is 321 yards away from 2,000, 160 yards per game. I would expect the Titans to try to get Derrick Henry to 2,000 yards. I think that's one of those things that in this day and age, you don't see a whole lot of guys getting that many carries to get an opportunity to get to 2,000 yards. Maybe like 300 wins in baseball. You don't see it much anymore. So for Derrick Henry to have a real chance, and I think he does have a real chance to get there, I think it'll be fun to watch how this plays out. The Ravens and Lamar Jackson uh, are playing a little bit better. They're now 9-5 and five as well. They get themselves a win over the Jaguars, Jaguars doing what they need to to ensure the future of the franchise. More talk on that in a minute. Dolphins get a win over the Patriots and actually finish the Patriots season. We'll see who starts for the Patriots on Monday night. It may be Jared Stidham, Cam Newton. I don't want to say he's been an abject failure. It just hasn't worked. He's not the quarterback for this team. And frankly, I don't think the quarterback for this team is anywhere to be found. I don't think the Patriots are going to be down for a long period of time simply because I I think that when you look at what they can bring in, a guy like a Matt Ryan or maybe even a Matthew Stafford, I think that the turnaround time could be quicker than we expect. So the Patriots done for this year. We'll see how they approach Monday night against the Bills. 
And more importantly, I'll bring something up in a minute about week 17, what the Patriots may do. May do. I mentioned Patrick Mahomes wasn't Patrick Mahomes great. They're good enough to beat the Saints. Saints had Drew Brees back. Brees didn't look like he was all the way back, but still gives them, a, in my opinion, a better chance to win. The Saints' defense is excellent. I really think they're fantastic. But talking about the Chiefs, they had Clyde Edwards-Lair, got hurt. He's going to miss the rest of the regular season. May be able to go for the playoffs. Mahomes threw for 254 yards and three touchdowns. And frankly, it was an off day for him. It's just the Chiefs are the best team in the league, and everyone else is fighting for second. For the Saints, I think they could give the Packers all they can handle. A lot depends on where that game is played. I'm not sure that the Saints can go on the road to Lambeau and get it done. But, hey, I'd like to see it. With that defense, I know one thing. That defense is going to hit Aaron Rodgers. The pass rush would cause Rodgers some trouble. I think it would be a great NFC championship game if the two of them play. Seattle gets a win over the Washington football team and puts themselves back in position to win the NFC West after playing some bad football over the last couple of weeks. They're still only 10-4. and four. The Washington football team didn't have Alex Smith, Dwayne Haskins back at quarterback. Not a good sign. And frankly, <laughs> with the Cowboys winning on Sunday, the NFC East is now a crapshoot. You look at this. The Washington football team is 6-8. and eight. Giants and Cowboys are 5-9. and nine. The Eagles 4-9-1. and one. The Cowboys win their last two games and the Redskins lose their last two. There's a real chance, and I'm saying there's a chance, there's an opportunity that Washington, because they they absolutely could lose their last two, that they end up winning the division, they being the Cowboys. It's, it's going to be fun to see how this one shakes out. Giants are certainly in the mix. It's not a good situation for any of those three teams because they're all – none of them belong in the playoffs. Jalen Hurts doing a nice job for Philly, but they don't belong in the playoffs either. It's just the way things work out. So the playoff picture looks like this. Bills win the AFC East. Pittsburgh or Cleveland coming out of the north. Now, again, Pittsburgh has Indy, and then they travel to Cleveland for Week 17. The Browns have a game at the Jets this week, and then they have Pittsburgh for the finishing touch. So that could be a real good finish there. The South, both Indy and Tennessee are 10-4. and four. And Indy plays at the Steelers, as I mentioned. And then they have the Jags, Week 17. Tennessee plays at Green Bay and then at Houston. So this is going to be a very good situation as well. The West, of course, Kansas City is going to get in. Now, there are only, in my opinion, four teams for three playoff spots. The loser of the, the North and the South divisions will be a wild card team. And then it's either Baltimore or Miami, and they're both 9-5. and five. Baltimore plays the Giants, and then they're at Cincinnati. Two very winnable games. Should win both of them. Miami is at Vegas, which I think they should win that one. And then they play the Bills Week 17, and I don't think the Bills will be trying very hard in that one. The NFC, I mentioned the East. What a joke that is. Packers going to win the North. Saints going to win the South. Saint, Seattle 
a game up in the West. Tampa Rams both nine and five. Arizona eight and six. The only other team in the mix there for a wild card would be the Bears at eight, at seven and seven. So at, at this point of the year, with two weeks left, you're not looking at a ton of teams that are going to get these things. Now the biggest thing that may have happened this weekend may have been the Jets spoiling their imperfect season. (laughs) The Jets all year continued to lose games, and the hope was they would get the first pick and end up with Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence is the highest-rated quarterback prospect to come out of college football since Andrew Luck, and only Luck since John Elway was rated higher than Trevor Lawrence has been. So he, there is no sure things. But he is about as close to a sure thing as you're going to find. So Jets fans were accepting an 0-13 start to their season with the thought of, hey, we're going to get Trevor Lawrence. Well, tanking is one thing. You can always tank. But that's the front office tanking. Coaches and players, they're going to try to win games. And when the Jets beat the Rams this week, they acted like they won something big. And then, frankly, for them, they did. Because nobody wants to go through a season winless. Well, the Jags have lost a cool 13 straight under Doug Marone. They won week one, have lost every game since then. The tiebreaker for the number one and number two seeds, or number one and number two picks in the NFL draft, is the worst record of, I'm sorry, the lower winning percentage of the opponents you play. And the strength of schedule right now, Jacksonville's opponents have won 55, 5.556% of their games. The Jets, 0.598% of their games. The Jags play the Bears and the Colts. The Jets play the Browns and the Patriots. Now, let, let's throw this out there. that The Browns are going to beat the Jets. The Bears are going to beat the Jets. So it comes to week 17. Bill Belichick is playing a Jets team that has won only one game all year long. They have a chance still to get the number one draft pick and draft Trevor Lawrence. The Patriots, their season shot. Bill Belichick is going to do what in week 17? Do you think Belichick will take a chance of letting the Jets win that game and keep or or lose that game and and bring Trevor Lawrence into the AFC East for the next dozen or so years, zero chance, zero chance. The lock of the century is going to be the Jets over the Patriots in week 17. Bill Belichick is a smart man. He does not want Trevor Lawrence in the AFC East. So when it comes down to that last game, they're going to lay down like uh, you know how easy it's going to be to get over on the Patriots. So Justin Fields, a nice consolation prize. And if you're a Jets fan, the question is this. What makes your franchise better? Another year with Sam Darnold, who hasn't improved since his sophomore year at UFC. Do you continue to try, give him another shot? You certainly don't give him his fifth-year option. Do you take Justin Fields, who's, in my opinion, a significant step down from Trevor Lawrence? Or do you just go with 
Darnold with the thought of you're two years away anyway, maybe you can parlay this second pick into a whole lot of draft picks to put yourself in position next year to trade up and get a quarterback. I don't believe Sam Darnold's a guy. I don't think he'll ever find it, especially in New York, possibly if he does a Ryan Tannehill and goes somewhere else. And I know they're going to have a new staff in New York with the Jets. I don't think that's enough to get him over the hump going forward. So Jets fans, you have my sympathy, but man, sure is entertaining to watch all this stuff go on. We'll see where it goes from here. One more thing on Justin Fields. The guy, in my opinion, is a very good college quarterback, certainly great athlete. He played two teams with winning records this year, Indiana, and then, of course, on Saturday against Northwestern. Struggled in both of those games. So there are people who feel that he is every bit the player that Trevor Lawrence is. I disagree with that. I think this is an Andrew Luck, RG3 situation where Luck was the sure thing. RG3 was a great athlete. I think that Trevor Lawrence is the sure thing. And again, there are no sure things, but as close as you can get. And I think Justin Fields is a significant step backwards from there. The NBA starts tonight, and the Lakers will look to defend their title. Their offseason included re-signing Anthony Davis to a max deal. They brought in Dennis Schroeder, Montrez Harrell, Marcus Saul, Wesley Matthews. They've retooled this Laker team is better than it has been. The question is, does LeBron James finally start to show his age in his 18th NBA season? A lot of miles, a lot of tread on, worn on those tires. At some point, LeBron is going to start breaking down a little bit, start getting to that point. When it happens is going to ter- determine this Laker season. If it doesn't happen, I think this Laker team wins going away. The NBA now has two players from the 585. Isaiah Stewart is, is of course, with the Pistons, the recent number one draft pick. And then Thomas Bryant entering another year with the Wizards. So I think that's a great thing to see. <laughs> James Harden's fat, dude. Look, you know, when you're an NBA player, there have been fat guys who can play. Sean Kemp got fat while having a cocaine problem, which still befuddles me that does a lot of blow and for some reason gets fat. Anyway, enough about Sean Kemp. Still was a good player. Fat guys sometimes can play. James Harden's fat and can still play, but he's unhappy. What does Houston do? Do they move him before the season? Do they wait to see how the season's going, trade him midway through? Not sure how you handle that, but whatever's going on in Houston, it's time just to break it all down and rebuild. I'm excited to watch the Pelicans this year. Zion Williamson has no minutes restrictions in the few preseason games. He has looked fantastic. I think he is still one of the most exciting players to come into the league in a decade. I think Zion has a quality. Speaking of fat guys, I think Zion's too heavy and his body will eventually break down. But here's a fat guy who can play and sign me up for that. The Nets have an interesting year ahead of them. Kyrie Irving is as unlikable as a superstar can be, yet dude can ball. And with Kevin Durant back healthy, Durant was the best player in the game when he tore that Achilles. You know, I know everyone looked at Steph Curry and 
thinks thought he was the leader of that Golden State team. Steph Curry's a very good player. He one of the all-time greats, certainly. But I think Steph Curry is much more of a media creation than an ab- actual player. As great as he is, kind of like Nolan Ryan in baseball for me. Overrated Hall of Famer, if you will. Nolan Ryan was basically a 500 pitcher. Threw seven no-hitters, which means he had seven of the greatest games ever. But let's not overdo it. He's not one of the top five pitchers in the history of the game. Steph Curry's not one of the top five players in the history of the game. Great player, will be a Hall of Famer, but the media loves Steph a lot more than the pure basketball skills love Steph. And Kevin Durant was the guy who carried those teams, in my opinion, to those championships. So we'll keep an eye on the Knicks. You know, it's funny. You watch you watch SportsCenter, and LaMelo Ball is getting a ton of run. Let me say this about LaMelo. He, he's a good passer. He will be a better shooter than his brother. But unlike his brother, he can't play any defense whatsoever. And eventually it's going to catch up with him. And it may catch up with him this year. You can't have a guy out there that guys are just driving by because he won't try defensively. I don't think it works for LaMelo. I know people are saying, oh, he's going to be the rookie of the year. Watch Anthony Edwards, kid from Georgia, who does play defense, who does get after it on both ends of the floor. There's your rookie of the year. It's going to be a fun year with the NBA coming back. Speaking of coming back, a couple weeks ago, talked about the NHL season and how you haven't heard anything. Well, now you have. The NHL is set to begin their season on January 13th. Camps will open on New Year's Eve. And there's been a realignment in large part because of the travel restrictions brought on by the COVID-19 pandemic. The realignment was not kind to the Buffalo Sabres, in my opinion. Sabres are in a division with the Bruins, Devils, Islanders, Rangers, Flyers, Penguins, and the Capitals. That's not an easy division. And they're going to play all their games within that division. The streak will continue, unfortunately. This 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 Sabres team is going to be better. But when you look at what they're asked to do, I don't believe they're going to have an opportunity to make the playoffs based on that level of competition. Syracuse basketball had an interesting week, and it got more interesting yesterday. They get two wins. They had that 3 o'clock Wednesday afternoon game, and who doesn't love a 3 o'clock Wednesday afternoon game against Northeastern? They get a win in a tight game there. Joe Girard and Quincy Garrier carried the team in that one. Girard had 21, four rebounds, three assists, six steals in that game. He was great. Garrier has been great all year, 16 rebounds to go with his 18 points. They carried the team in a game that Buddy Beheim was one for 12, had two points. Alan Griffin didn't score. He was 0 for 4. These are games that you look at and you go, okay, we got away with one there. Then on Saturday, UB comes to town, and UB is a good basketball team. U preps, Janathan Williams is their leading scorer. Janathan has grown into a very good college player. Kid that Syracuse didn't recruit. And it was, it's strange to me that they didn't recruit him because Long and athletic is what Syracuse does, and that's what Janathan is. I I thought he would have been a good fit for the Orange, 
But for whatever reason, they didn't look at him, and he had something to say about it when they went there. He scored 11 points early in that game, made an impression. But I thought this was a unique game because not only did the Orange travel trail all day, forced overtime on a phenomenal block by Alan Griffin, but you're starting to see the changing of the guard with this team. And I mean guard literally. Last year, both Buddy Bayheim and Joe Girard logged huge minutes in large part because of injuries and ineffectiveness. Jalen Carey wasn't the guy. So they had problems with other guards. Beheim and Gerard played well together, but there really wasn't a third option. So this year when Kadari Richmond came in and, you know, you heard some of what Beheim said, Jim Beheim said about Kadari Richmond, you thought, well, this guy isn't your typical freshman. Well, on Saturday, because of the man-to-man pressure defense that was played by UB, that took Joe Girard out of the game. He's not going to be able to compete well against great man-to-man pressure defense and struggled early. Kadari Richmond came in and gave them a game, and it was a game that Girard only saw 16 minutes of the 45 play. Kadari had 13 points, eight rebounds, five assists, and four blocks. Stuffed the stat sheet, played extremely well down the stretch. I think Kadari Richmond is going to continue to see more time, especially when you get into league play and you play against teams with very who are very athletic and play great man-to-man. I think you're going to see Kadari Richmond grow and grow and grow. And I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, He's a one-and-done. I think Kadari Richmond is a one-and-done at Syracuse. He's got the length. He's got a nice stroke. He, he's got a calmness about him on the floor. He's long. Again, I, I said that twice already, so he must be extra long. He's just got it, and I think he's going to be one-and-done. Another player who's going to be gone after this year is Quincy Gurrier. Gurrier, 27 points, 11 boards against UB. Gurrier now leading the team in rebounding is averaging double doubles and he's the highest has the highest three point shooting percentage on the team over 40%. Last year, he couldn't shoot from three. this year. He's comfortable shooting from there. His game has grown immensely. Buddy Beheim, another bad game and buddy had 22 points. He was eight of 24 shooting. If this team is going to win ACC games, Buddy Beheim has got to play better all the way around. Marek Dolajai, I have not mentioned his name yet, has been just solid all year long against UB. 19 points, eight rebounds, had five assists, leading the team in assists. This is going to be a fun team. But, now here's the but. They get all these things done. They, they get two wins. They're 6-1 and one in the season. Tonight, scheduled to play Notre Dame, not going to happen. They are paused now because shortly after they played UB on Saturday, UB announced that they had a positive COVID test. Syracuse is now paused. Their next game after tonight is on December 30th, a week from Saturday, against Wake Forest. And then they play January 2nd at North Carolina. So we'll see when they're able to get back on the court. But I don't think that Notre Dame game is going to happen 
before the end of the year. So SU hoops, good news and bad news. They win two games, struggled a little bit, both of them. But more importantly, they are now paused yet yet again. And I, I do think that's the college basketball season in a nutshell. Games are going to be played when they can be played, and then teams are going to pause. And at the end of the year, we're going to have to try to figure out the best 68 and hopefully get through a tournament without pausing that. You know, this weekend they announced the college football playoffs, and, you know, Notre Dame got in. Notre Dame lost to Clemson, and there wasn't really a game. It was over early. Trevor Lawrence was just the difference in that game. And and it's funny because when you look at game one without Trevor Lawrence, Notre Dame was great. Yeah, You take the best player in college football off the field, it's going to make a difference. Notre Dame, though, they got in. And everyone's Texas A&M should have got in. Cincinnati should have got in. Let's be honest. College football playoff is a reality TV show. You want the highest ratings you're going to be able to get. Notre Dame has its own network for a reason, because they get ratings and they are going to continue to get ratings. And they're going to be anytime Notre Dame can be in, they will be in and they are in this year. They're going to lose big to Alabama. I don't think they can compete with Alabama, although Bama's defense is not good. They gave up a bunch of points on Saturday. Again, offensively, they're very good. I just don't think defensively this is a typical Alabama team. I would expect them to roll over Notre Dame. But if Ian Book gets hot and Kieran Williams has a day, I think Notre Dame can keep it close. So we'll see what happens in that one. And then game, the other game, Clemson and Ohio State. Ohio State gets in despite having played only six games. Dabo Sweeney's coach's ballot, he had Ohio State 11th. You don't think that's going to make its way to Columbus and end up on a bulletin board somewhere, do you? I, I think it might. Yeah, maybe. But, yeah, Clemson, Ohio State, I think that's a very good one. And for the about the 87th year in a row, I expect to see Clemson and Alabama in the championship game. Well, Christmas is only a few days away, and the holidays mean family. And this past weekend, there was the family edition of the PGA Tour. Of course, I'm talking about the PNC Father-Son Challenge, played down in Orlando at the Ritz-Carlton Golf Course. Tiger Woods played with his son, Charlie. I mean, this is a great event because you get to see guys having fun and they're playing with their sons. Justin Thomas, who won the event with his father. It's it's just a cool event because it's relaxed. At the same time, you get to see some really good young players. You get to see some guys like Gary Player and Lee Trevino can still hit it. John Daly's son is a chip off the old block without the three-pack-a-day and the bottle of Jack Daniels habit that may have sidelined or derailed, I should say, John Daly's career. But the kid could really play. But, of course, Tiger Woods' son, Charlie, stole the show. This is an 11-year-old kid who just has a swing like his father. (laughs) Yeah, you learn from the best ever or one of the two best ever and you're going to get some opportunities. Charlie at 11 years old was playing from special teams because he's 11 years old. He's pounding it down there 230 at 11 years old. And because of that, Tiger a lot of times wasn't even hitting. On one hole, Charlie made his made an eagle off his own ball. He had a great tee shot, 
hit a fairway wood. He hooked it around the corner to about three feet and drained the pot. Eagle, 11 years old. This kid, it's going to be fun to see how he develops. And, you know, it's way too early to say this kid's going to be the next Tiger Woods. Well, you never know. Tiger's mind was his strongest club in every in the bag every tournament he played. But we said that when his wife hit, threw a nine iron through the back of the Cadillac Escalade, the mind then had doubt. He failed for the first time. And not for the first time, but in a big way. And from then on, the doubt crept in. And then his body broke down, and that's where Tiger is now. Who knows where Charlie will be in five or six or seven years. At 11 years old, though, the future sure looks bright. And it's fun to watch a kid who just gets the process. And, and he's been brought into the process by somebody who gets the process. It, it's, it was something to watch. And if you didn't see it, I'm sure you saw a lot of highlights. There's a lot to like about this. And throw this out there. Tiger Woods won the U.S. Amateur at age 18. When Charlie Woods is 18, the U.S. Amateur will be played at Oak Hill, about a couple miles from where I'm recording this podcast, 2027. I hope to be able to go see Charlie Woods play that day or that tournament. That'd be fun to look forward to. Well, that's it for this week's Balkan Around. I hope you all have a great Christmas if you celebrate Christmas. If not, happy holidays. We'll talk next week. Thanks for listening, everybody.